All right, friends, please turn in your Bibles now to Psalm 150, the last psalm in your Bible. It says this, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your church. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. God, I am freshly this week grateful for how your word instructs us to live. Uh, Would you help us to hear it this morning? Would you help us to submit to it this morning? God, would you bless the preaching of your word to shape our lives? We need your help for this spirit, we ask. Help us to to hear and understand and submit. We ask all this in Jesus' name by the power of your spirit. Amen. Friends, last week Joel preached out of 1 Kings on joy. If you missed it, go check it out later today. In that message, he pointed out how much joy we have available to us in Christ through God's great mercy and kindness and love and the power that that collective joy has. He didn't really have time to dive into what that joy looks like for us as we express our love towards God and devotion in worship to him together, but that's what I get to do this morning. I'll be doing a biblical theology this morning on what worship looks like in the life of the believer. So Psalm 150 is the launch pad, but we're going to go all over the place. One of the illustrations that Joel used last week when talking about experiencing collective joy was when he was in Brazil and there was a big national soccer victory. That got me thinking about moments of collective joy that I've experienced in my life. One memory in particular was from youth camp this year. Now, I know that the students love camp and that they show up really excited and ready to have an incredible week together. But this year was on a different level. For the first session of the week, the band started playing and all the campers are filing into their seats. Joseph Stagora reads our call to worship and we start singing our first song, and my, oh my. Joseph and I look at each other while we're playing in shock. The campers were so loud. I mean so loud. This took singing at the top of your lungs into a different stratosphere. These kids were so excited to sing praises to God that it actually hurt our ears when we didn't have our headphones in. It was incredible. Now, maybe it's not youth camp. Maybe it's not even singing songs for you. But I know that each and every one of you can relate to being excited and passionate and expressive about something. Maybe it didn't look like shouting at the top of your lungs and losing your voice, but I bet there's something in your life that you're passionate and expressive about. This morning, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about us being expressive in our worship. But an important question as we begin is, what is worship? 
The word worship in our day and age, while it can be used to communicate and represent a lot of things, is most popularly used in reference to worship music. Now, while it might be pretty typical to have the worship leader give a sermon on music, this morning's focus is less on music and more on the heart of worship and how that manifests itself in our lives. So again, I ask, what is worship? When you break it down, the word worship represents assigning worth or value and praise to something. So let me ask you this. What do you assign worth in your life? Your career, your hobbies, your entertainment and media, sports, school, family, friends, reputation, on and on and on. There's tons of things in our lives that we assign as valuable and worthy of our time and energy and dedication, aren't there? But friends, there is nothing, absolutely nothing in our life that is more worthy of all of our dedication and energy and time and praise than our God. He is the only one that all true worship is designed for and directed to. And he is the only one that is truly worthy of all of our praise and worship. This truth is found throughout our Bible. Exodus 34, 14. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. 2 Samuel 22, 4. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. First Chronicles 16, 28, 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Psalm 22, 27, 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Psalm 95, 6 and 7, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Revelation 4, 8, and 11. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Hallelujah. Redeemer Fellowship, I could easily fill this whole sermon slot just by reading passages that point out and explain and remind and declare to us that God is worthy of our worship. And as much as I would love to do that, we do want to have a fuller understanding of what this means for our lives, so we must press on. The word worship in our Bibles communicates a lot of things. It communicates things about posture and voices and using our bodies, which we will get into this morning. But most importantly, it communicates that only God is truly worthy of our worship. As we genuinely worship him, 
All the things this word represents can be seen and felt and experienced and witnessed. To worship God means to kneel down before him as your maker, sustainer, and king. To worship God means to bow down in reverence in his presence as God Almighty. To worship God means to extend your hands in praise and honor to the Lord. To worship God means to sing and shout and praise him for his faithfulness and graciousness. To worship God means that you serve him with all your mind, body, and strength. To worship God means that you submit your whole heart and whole soul and whole life to him. God cares most about your heart, friend. And our hearts are where everything else flows out of. So our main idea for today is this. Because our God is worthy of our worship, we must praise him with our whole lives. Because our God is worthy of our worship, we must praise him with our whole lives. We're going to consider this through four points today. Worship because of who God is. Worship using your whole life. Worship with physical expression. And worship for all of eternity. So first up, worship because of who God is. I've already hit on this a little this morning, but I want to make it clear that we worship God and God alone. The Alpha and the Omega, the one and only, the sovereign creator of everything, the great I am, the Lord who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There is truly none like him. He is the God that we worship. Amen? Simply who he is demands our worship. He has created us, he sustains us, he cares for us and protects us. He is faithful and kind to us. And if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, he saves us and changes us, and he has given our lives new purpose and meaning. He gives us hope and assurance through Christ and the Holy Spirit. He carries us through trials and sufferings, and he loves us more than we will ever know. In response to who God is, we must worship him. He has created us to glorify him, and simply being made by him means that we owe our worship to him. Throughout scripture, do you know what the very common response to God revealing himself was? People fell on their faces and worshiped him. Friends, God not just earns and deserves our worship for who he is, he commands our worship. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the, Lord of the, the, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All of those are God commanding us to worship him and him alone. But even his commands for our worship are prefaced by his his worthiness of our worship. In Exodus 20, verse 2, before he gives the Ten Commandments, it says, I am the Lord your God. 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What a God we have. Church, He is truly worthy of our worship. But even better, we worship God because He has revealed Himself to us in Jesus Christ. The gospel, which we've heard so much about in our series through 1 Corinthians, tells and shows us that in order to redeem sinful mankind, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to become human and live the perfect life that we never could. It tells us that he laid down his life to die the death that we should, that our sins deserve, that he was buried in a sealed tomb, and that he rose from the dead on the third day, conquering sin and death, rescuing us and setting us free. If you believe that Jesus is your savior and king, he demands your worship. There is none like him, and he alone is worthy of all of our praise. In Matthew 3, John the Baptist said he wasn't worthy to carry Jesus' sandals. In Matthew 8, the centurion said he wasn't worthy to have Jesus enter his house. In Matthew 10, Jesus said anyone who loves even their family more than him isn't worthy of him. In Hebrews 3, the writer says, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And in Colossians 1, Paul breaks into praise mid-sentence because of how worthy Jesus is of our praise. Colossians 1, 15-20 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Friends, that Jesus is worthy of your praise. Redeemer Fellowship, because our God is worthy of our worship, we must praise him. We must do so with our whole lives, which is our second point. Worship using your whole life. If worshiping God is to be done with our whole lives, what does that look like? I want to give us a broader category here using some biblical examples to inform our thinking and give us some basic models for what worshiping God with our whole lives can look like for us. Let me start with this. Worshiping God is not restricted to church buildings on Sunday mornings. Like we've seen throughout 1 Corinthians, in all that we say and do, we are to glorify God. Acts 2, we get a glimpse of this daily lifestyle of worship in the church. It says this, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a wonderful example that is for us today. As we gather together on Sunday mornings and in our fellowship groups throughout the week, 
as you get together with friends for meals and activities. We are to be praising and glorifying God wherever we go. And in John 4, when Jesus is speaking with the Samaritan woman, he makes it clear that worship isn't bound to a specific location, but is a matter of the heart. John 4, 21 to 24 says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Furthermore, Romans eleven thirty six through 12, 1 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Scripture is clear, church. We are to worship God wherever we are, even when it's hard. Toward the end of Acts 16, we read that Paul and Silas were beaten by a crowd for healing a slave girl and then thrown in jail. Once they're there, we read in that chapter, this is Acts 16, 24, having received this order, he, the jailer, put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. These guys were just beaten bloody because they were sharing and demonstrating the power of Christ. And now in prison, what are they doing? Praying and singing hymns to God. It's very clear. This makes it so clear that Paul and Silas knew that God was worthy of their worship and that they were resolved to use their whole lives to worship him wherever they were. Hebrews 13 encourages us toward this type of resolve to worship God too. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him, that's Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Friends, worshiping God wherever you go looks like speaking about Jesus highly and often. Every chance you get to acknowledge that Christ is Lord, do it. That is what daily worship looks like. We worship Christ at all times, wherever we are, because he is worthy of our worship. Beyond where we are, what else does it look like for us to worship God with our whole lives? Well, if I jump back to the different things I said earlier that the word worship represents, I think that gives us some really helpful categories. So I'm going to read those again and give some questions for you to consider. Maybe jot these down. Talk about them over lunch or in a dinner this week. To worship God means to kneel down before him as your maker, sustainer, and king. Friend, do you live your daily life submitting to your maker and king? Do you submit your plans and dreams and decisions to him and his will for your life? It's what worshiping him daily looks like. 
To worship God means to bow down in reverence in his presence as God Almighty. Do you daily bow down, maybe even physically, bow down before the Lord in prayer, asking for his help and provision? Do you trust him to take care of your needs? To worship God means to extend your hands in praise and honor to the Lord. Do you praise God throughout your day, or is that maybe an afterthought at best? Do you recognize and acknowledge that God is worthy of your praise? To worship God means to sing and shout and praise him for his faithfulness and graciousness. Do you use your voice on Sundays and throughout the week to praise God for who he is and what he's done? Do you take time to recount his faithfulness specifically to you and then praise him for it? To worship God means that you serve him with all your mind, body, and strength. Do you use the body that God has given you to serve him? This could look like a thousand different things. But do you consider how you use your body to glorify and honor and praise God or you just kind of grind through your day? What might it look like for you to more intentionally use your mind, body, and strength to serve God in worship. To worship God means that you submit your whole heart and soul and life to him. This one's tough. I've been praying this a lot over the past several weeks, and it can be a little scary. Because submitting my whole heart and soul and life to God means recognizing that there's probably things in my life that need to change. Stuff that I need to do more of and things that I need to do less of or cut out completely. Submitting all that to God also means that I'm willing to make those changes, which can be hard. But worshiping God with my whole life means that I am his. And that I want my life to look more and more like Jesus. It means that I need my whole heart and soul and life to be changed and to be regularly renewed each day. Are you willing to submit your whole heart and soul and life to him? If you are, have you told him that? Worshiping God also means honoring God with our resources, like Zacchaeus and the widow who gave her last two coins, both responding to God and submitting their money to him. Worshiping God means submitting to God's call and plan for your life like Abraham did on many occasions, trusting God to provide for him. Worshiping God means expressing your heart and emotions to God like David, who lived his life for God and was brutally honest and genuine, submitting his feelings and hurts and fears to God, trusting God alone to sustain him and care for him. Friends, these are ways that we can worship with our whole lives. As you pray for these things, pray about these things, and pursue living them out to honor and worship God, watch and see how God meets you. Be on the lookout for opportunities to grow and for evidences of God's grace in your life that as he meets you and helps you, to, he will help you to be more fully, truly worshiping him 
with your whole life. All of these things will begin to well up in you gratefulness and joy and gladness and happiness. And the natural outlet for those things is praising the God who is responsible for all of it. Friends, because God is worthy of our worship, we must praise him with our whole lives. This leads into our third point this morning. Worship with physical expression. I know that this can be a sensitive topic and one that we can land in all different places on. Let me start with a few questions. Are you overcautious about raising your voice or your hands because of what you think others might think about you? During church and during singing in particular, do you often find yourself with arms crossed and resting grumpy face, not singing the words? Do you look on with a bit of a side eye or skeptical hippo eyes when someone next to you or in front of you or anywhere in the room really shouts or jumps or claps or raises their hands? If you're aware that that's you, Believer, please allow me to gently, humbly remind you that Scripture very clearly shows us that physical expression during our worship is good and right and helpful. Maybe you're not convinced of that yet. That's okay. I pray that we all become more convinced of this reality and call from Scripture. But no matter what the topic is, we should all be eager and willing to have our hearts and convictions and preferences adjusted by God's word to us. Throughout the Bible, we are encouraged, expected, commanded even to be physically expressive in our worship to God. And we should be seeking to submit to him and honor him in this area. That means being stretched and humble in areas that we might be a bit uncomfortable with and fighting hard not to judge others or be resistant in these things. To inform our thinking about and encourage us in the area of physical expressiveness, I want to walk through two specific categories of physical expressiveness that we see in the Psalms, our voices and our posture. Our voices. Our voices are integral parts of who we are as people. It's one of the ways that we recognize and distinguish one another. And when more than one voice is singing together, it can be a beautiful thing. I was just talking to Nathan Lee recently about how two people can sing this, the exact same note, and it sounds different. All our music people can correct me on this if I'm wrong. But I think that that boils down to our vocal cords and our anatomy being different from each other. Essentially, we're different sized and shaped versions of the same instrument. So just like you can get different sized ukuleles that sound brighter or darker or deeper or higher, our voices are made to be distinct from one another. And the more voices you add together in worship, the fuller and broader the sound, the fuller and broader the worship of our God. 
I know not everyone can sing like Nicole or Hannah. I certainly can't. That's okay. Amen. But you have a voice that is yours, that God has given to you. He desires to hear you use it to praise him. If you're completely tone deaf, which I promise is not that many of you, maybe don't sing at the top of your lungs. (laughs) But you know what I do whenever I hear somebody singing out of tune on a Sunday morning? I smile. I seriously, truly do every single time. Because whether that person knows it or not, they are resolved to worship the God that they love. And that is what matters. Amen. When we hear other people worshiping God, it encourages and draws us to worship him ourselves. That's the collective effect of our joy, of our voices being raised to praise our king. Here's a handful of psalms that address us using our voices, specifically in shouting and singing. Psalm 9-1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Psalm 13, 5 and 6, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He has, hasn't he? Psalm 30, verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 34, 1 to 3, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Friends, I could go on for days. I've got pages and pages of references from the Psalms that call us to use our voices to praise our God. But what about our posture? Do the Psalms address our physical posture and use of our body in worship? They sure do. (laughs) Kneeling, bowing, standing, dancing, they're all specifically mentioned and modeled and encouraged to be part of our worship by Scripture. What you'll also see here is specific mention of hands being used and raised and extended in praise and adoration, submission, and reverence to our God. There are all, these are all examples of what it looks like to worship God with our entire body because of who he is. Psalm 22, 22 to 23. I will tell of your name to the brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. Psalm 30, 11 and 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Amen. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. 
O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 95, 6, come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 138, 1 and 2, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 150, I read this at the start. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. All the drummers said amen. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Friends, our God has given us actual physical bodies that are meant and designed to be used for his glory and praise. Do we do that through hard work and through self-discipline and through rest and through many other things? Absolutely we do. But our bodies are also meant and designed to be used in our worship and praise. This has a remarkable effect on our own souls. I cannot tell you how many times I've come into church and been utterly overwhelmed by life and its many burdens and cares and been unable to sing. I can't tell you how many times I've been leading worship and been so affected by the lyrics or by seeing someone in the congregation worshiping through tears that it's gotten me choked up and I can't get the words out. Whatever the reason in those situations, it doesn't mean that we don't worship and praise our God. Our bodies are incredibly helpful and necessary in these situations. If you're too exhausted to sing the words, bow down or extend your hands in desperation. If you're overwhelmed by emotion, whether that's positive or negative, you can't sing, bend your knee and raise your hands in adoration. If you legitimately cannot sing, but are grateful and glad and happy in Christ, jump up and down and dance before the Lord. Sometimes we need to use our own bodies to lead our hearts and souls to enter into worship. Sometimes we need the example of other people using their bodies to lead their hearts and souls into worship. Those moments when you're not necessarily feeling it, but you know the words you're reading and hearing are true and that you believe them, raise your hand to praise God to lead your soul to enter into worship. Those moments when the lyrics hit you and you're convicted by your sin and your pride, take a knee before your king to lead your soul in expressing your heart of submission in worship. When you see others raising their hands and getting on their knees and clapping and shouting and jumping, raise your hand, even if it's just a little bit, to lead your soul 
to be encouraged and drawn towards the greatness and goodness and worthiness of Christ. Don't fight it. Resolve to worship the Lord expressively. Physical expression leads, helps lead our hearts and souls to worship our God because he is worthy. Physical expression also helps lead the hearts and souls of those around us towards God because he is worthy. I want to challenge us in this church. Don't fight it. Don't worry about what others may think. Nobody here should be bothered if you raise your hands or shout or clap or dance. We should all be joyfully focusing on worshiping Jesus. And we should be encouraged by other people's physical expressions in worship. Now, I'm not saying go crazy or be a distraction. While we should be expressive, we should also be eager to be loving and gracious towards others. And that might mean dialing it back a little bit if you're super expressive. That might mean dialing it up a little bit if you're not. I'm also not saying that physical expression is all that matters. That's why I've waited this long to talk about it this morning. Worship is a matter, first and foremost, of our heart. Exuberance does not make up for an empty soul. But if your heart is happy and glad in Christ and you are grateful for who God is and what he has done in your life, you should be physically expressive in worship. If your heart is troubled and burdened and tired, but you know that God is good, that Jesus loves you and wants to help you, you should be physically expressive in your worship. That looks different for different people at different times, and it is beautiful. Just like we have different voices, we have different expressions, but we should be expressive. As we see people around us being physically expressive in worship, it should encourage and challenge us to do the same, even if it looks or sounds a little different. Hopefully what you've seen in all of this scriptural evidence compels you towards being more physically expressive in your worship of God. It's good. It is the right response to who God is. So let us be striving together to be a church that sings loudly and bows and kneels and jumps and dances, a people that raises and extends and claps our hands, using our whole bodies to worship our worthy God. Now look, I know I can be really loud, but the reality is that there is simply nothing that I love to do more than sing praises to the Lord. When I get up here on Sunday mornings with the band and sing at the top of my lungs, it's not a show. It's to demonstrate and encourage you towards worshiping our God with all that you have. Most of the week, I'm an incredibly quiet person. I thoroughly enjoy silence and alone time. In a room of people or a group of strangers, I'm not naturally inclined towards being loud or physically expressive. But when I am worshiping the Lord, all of that goes out the window. I am resolved to worship God with my whole being. 
No matter how I'm feeling, no matter what I'm burdened by, no matter what my circumstances are, there is simply nothing that will keep me from worshiping him. And friends, I want that resolve for you as well. So I get up here and sing at the top of my lungs and shout and stomp and play my instruments so hard my hands bleed, not just because it's fun or because it's my job, but because I want to worship the God that I love with my whole life, my whole being, and I want you to join me. I know that life is hard. I know that we're not all naturally inclined to be physically expressive, but our God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship with our whole lives and our whole bodies all of the time. Friends, because our God is worthy of our worship, we must praise him with our whole lives. Why? Because it matters for our own hearts and souls. And it matters for the hearts and souls of those around us. And it matters for all of eternity. This is our, for, our final point, which will be brief. Worship for all of eternity. Here's an incredible thought for all of us to consider. After Jesus comes back and we all get our perfected bodies and we're in the new heavens and new earth, a lot will have changed. There'll be no more pain or sin or death no tears, and Jesus will be king. Every single person will know and love and submit to Jesus the king. But you know what won't change? Us worshiping him. Scripture makes it clear that all the hosts of heaven and earth will sing praises to Jesus for the rest of eternity. That is incredible. Now, as the church, worship isn't the only thing we do that has value and purpose and meaning. Nor is it the only thing that we do that will impact and echo throughout eternity. The things that God has designed the church for, all the things that Jesus calls us to be and do together, they all matter greatly and have tremendous effect on our lives and the lives of those around us. But worship is one of the small handful of things that we will all still continue to do in heaven when the need for things like evangelism and outreach has passed away. Our worship today is not just a glimpse of eternity in heaven with Jesus. It is actively preparing us for eternity in heaven with Jesus. It is, in fact, what we will be doing together forever. Our worship today should be helping us to long for heaven more. Our worship today should be helping us to be more and more grateful to God. It should be helping us to be more and more happy in Jesus and living fuller lives by his spirit, all to the praise and glory and honor of his name forever. Because our God is worthy of our worship, we must praise him with our whole lives forever. Let me close with a passage from Revelation. Helping us to get a glimpse of worship in heaven, what we have to look forward to. Let these verses encourage your heart and soul to worship God with your whole life. 
and let them motivate you towards expressively praising him on your way to that day. This is Revelation 5. Verse 2, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Verse 4, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 9, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray.